Hi, welcome to another episode of I Own a Business, where we focus on helping practice owners grow the practice of their dreams. I'm your host, Dr. Steve Vargo, and it's a real pleasure to have with me today Dr. Selena McGee, who is founder and owner of Bespoke Vision, where she specializes in dry eye aesthetics and specialty contact lenses. And she also frequently lectures and writes on these topics. And she's also president of Intrepid Eye Society. And I also have with me Zach Denning. And Zach is Director of Scientific and Professional Affairs at Science-Based Health. So hello to both of you. Hello, Thank Steve. You. Thanks for having us. Great to be here. Well, it's great to have both of you here. Um, we've done a few podcasts, not, not us, but uh, with the podcast, we've done a few on the topic of dry eye. But I wanted to focus on an area that I think often gets overlooked, or maybe it would be more appropriate to say neglected in the care and treatment of dry eye, and that would be the role of nutrition and nutritional supplements. And I don't think doctors doubt the science or the efficacy. I, I think sometimes other factors get in the way, like doctors will say, I, I don't want to sell things to my patients, or it's hard to convince patients that they need this, or I have trouble getting my staff on board. So for docs wanting to integrate perhaps a more holistic approach to the treatment of dry eye, I, I know this will be valuable to a lot of people listening. Um, and, and Selena, maybe just start with you. How, how have you integrated? Just maybe a, a brief overview before we jump in uh, to some more detail, but how, how have you integrated supplements into your practice? Sure. So I have a supplement that we carry in the office. And you're right, Steve, I think there's a lot of friction and there's some barriers. And I think sometimes they're just perceived barriers for doctors. It's not reality, but as we all know, perception is reality. So for me, I talk to patients about nutrition and having a supplement that has the right ratios. And we know that nutrition and nutraceutical supplements are wildly unregulated. So we've done the homework for them. And I teach patients that we have to treat inflammation from the inside out. So I think having very specific dialogue that you're comfortable with, and you know, you bring up a good point, doctors don't like to sell things, but I always swap the word sell with help. So, I mean, imagine you're a patient sitting in our chair and we say, you know, you should have a supplement or you need to eat salmon three times a week. And that's not reality. And the patient's like, great, what should I do? And if you don't have a good answer for them, or you feel like you're selling something you're not, you're actually helping them make a good decision on what actually is evidence-based medicine specifically around dry eye. So that's how I approach it. And I, I think the mindset is very important. Um, and then for me, this is the foundation of every single patient that walks in our door specifically around dry eye, but this is something that everyone should have on board because we want to take care of patients when they're well, not take care of patients once they've gotten ill and now we're on the back hill slide trying to go back up. So I think it's really important to integrate into your comprehensive care because that's what we're doing, comprehensive, the whole body, not just the eyeballs we see behind the cell lamp. You mentioned the barriers and, and some of the challenges. What would you say to doctors that say, I don't have enough time? You take a typical OD in a very busy practice 
And sometimes these conversations become the casualty of a busy practice is doctors right. say, I, I don't have time. Um, and I'll ask you to weigh in first, Selena, how, how do you have these conversations? What, let me maybe phrase it this way. What have you found the most impactful way to make a sort of a pitch, right? I'm curious your approach. And then Zach, you've obviously worked with doctors uh, outside of that. Maybe you could add, add to that as well. Sure. So the way that I approach it with patients, and you're right, you have to be succinct. And so I do it as I go through the exam. So when I show patients, and we happen to do myography on all of our comprehensive patients, but as I'm going through and educating, you know, here's what we're looking at, here's why this concerns me. And then I turn and ask, what are you doing as far as nutrition? What does your diet look like? So I've tucked it into the conversation as we go. Rarely do you see me sitting in a chair having a conversation with a patient when I'm not doing something else. And there's a very much an art to that because you really have to make good eye contact and multitask, which, I mean, we all know that multitasking is super dangerous and lowers our IQ. I need all the IQ I can get, but, <laughs> um, <laughs> but, you know, having that conversation, but we also have to realize that patients can only hear about 6% of what we say. So I rely heavily on having that initial conversation. I prescribe it. I, I never use the word recommend. I think that should be struck from every doctor's vocabulary. And I utilize a handoff sheet that has the supplement that we've talked about. And then I rely heavily on my team to close that at the end. So when the patient walks up front and they said, you know, Dr. McGee prescribed you, for example, hydro eye, which is what we carry in the office. And did you have any questions about that? Then the patient's like, oh, I did actually like, tell me more about it. And so then the team takes all the details and I've moved on to the next patient. So I have found that works best and there's steps to that. And you do have to rely heavily on your team and you invest in your team to provide that education that we can move on to do the things that only I can do. They're doing the things that they can do. So it's a well-orchestrated flow. And we're very intentional about that. We role play that. We go over at team meetings every week. It's a constant thing that we work on. Yeah, I think, I think Selena really, uh, you touched on, on really kind of the, some of the really key points, I think, in general, sort of integrating it into a practice regimen, and not having it be this sort of side thing that takes you away from uh, the slip lamp or the conversation you're already having. Um, you know, find a way to make that part of what you do and, and not sort of something that adds on and, and takes up share time. Um, and I think also, you know, you touched on sort of incorporating your staff. I think that's really key. Um, having, you know, the, the company's rep come in and do a lunch and learn for staff, getting everyone on board. Um, for us, um, you know, we actually offer sort of staff and doctor pricing on our products so that you know, if someone is taking it at the front desk, you can send the, the patient there and they'll they'll have some familiarity with it. Um, but sort of making things sort of really integrated throughout the practice. And and I think above all, I think Selena also said, sort of touched on the kind of the reluctance to be salesy. You don't have to, you don't, you can be a doctor and you can, you can recommend or you can prescribe a supplement and, and do it in the way that you would anything else that you prescribe in the practice. 
um, without having to be a used car salesman, you know, or or do like a song and dance and lighter, less filling and half off or that kind of thing. You know, you can keep it very much kind of to the business of what you would normally do. You know, this is what I want you to take. I really want you to do this. This is why I want you to take it. Um, here's how you get it. And you, and you can talk to so-and-so at the front desk. And to keep it just very kind of simple and, and you don't have to sort of step into another role that you're not comfortable with. So I'm stealing the 6% statistic. I, I've heard, I've never heard that one before. I'm in a, I've heard the, if you ever heard the forgetting curve, which is another one that they found that we forget about 90% of new information that we're exposed to if it's not reinforced. And most of that happens within the first 24 to 48 hours. So I think we have to be cautious of finding that balance as, as clinicians between being how, between being thorough, but also realizing that we're talking to real human beings, not information receptacles. So um, making that an impactful conversation. I love the idea of working that in throughout the exam because I think it gives them more exposure to that message as well. And it's probably going to be more memorable, but it also allows you to spend more time talking about that and, and do that within the time constraints of an exam. Because I think a lot of doctors look at these things as, well, I'm going to wait till the end. After I've got all the information and after I have asked all the questions, now I'm going to sit down and wait till the end to go over this with you. And it's just, it, it's too late at that point. Um, back on the, on the topic of feeling, uh, feeling salesy. Mm -hmm. And you, as you said, I, I prescribe, I don't recommend it. As far as offering products in the practice, how would you handle patients who perhaps say, well, why do I have to buy it here? can I get that somewhere else? And we know that there's a whole, it's the wild, wild west. As soon as you walk into Walmart or a super, um, you know, a, a grocery store, not a grocery store, but, you, um, you know, a, a lot of places that would have a full aisle of, of supplements there, but what, what is your why that you'll explain to a patient? So I always go back to what's best for the patient and I do it from convenience. Look, I vetted this for you. You can certainly, you know, the one I carry, you can get on Amazon, but it actually costs more on Amazon. And I've made it really convenient. You can just pick it up on your way out. It saves you a trip to the store. So that's all I say. It's truly about convenience for the patient. I think our minds yeah. go right to dry eye. And Zach, I'll ask you to expand on this as well. But we, we see a lot of eye conditions. And in terms of the the typical OD seeing a lot of different eye conditions. What what eye issues would you consider prime opportunities for offering a nutritional supplement? Like I said, I think our mind goes to dry eye initially, but sure. beyond that as well. And I'm interested in both your thoughts on that. Well, I think there's really sort of a, a pretty wide range as you suggested. I think dry eye is kind of a nice sort of low hanging fruit in a way because this is something um, like with our product Hydri, the patient will feel a difference within the first two, um, two months, usually three to five weeks, they will feel better. And so they will notice the difference and they will see it and they will feel it working. Um, and so that's why it's an especially good opportunity. And it's something that's bothering them day in and day out. Unlike you know some eye conditions that are slowly progressing and it's causing damage, but they don't always sort of see that progression day to day. Um, but you know, outside of dry eye, I mean, I think there's there's really good opportunity, obviously, for AMD. Um, we actually have a clinical study on a product for glaucoma, looking at ocular blood flow in glaucoma, 
Um, you know, that not being a treatment, but a nutritional adjunct, but something you could do for that patient who has already lowered pressure or normal pressure and is still progressing or that kind of thing. Um, and then beyond that, I think just sort of generally sort of as Selena suggested, thinking about wellness and, you know, kind of looking at the whole patient and kind of going like, what, what might be the risk down the road, a family history of AMD, um, you know, other things, um, and, and trying to sort of proactively improve their diet, get them on a supplement on the front end um, to try to make them healthier and kind of, you know, delay or reduce the risk of some of these things. This all falls certainly within the word you use, Zach, was wellness, but wellness is difficult in terms of trying to get other people to adopt uh, behavior change. And we know that there, there's actually a study out there showing that patients that are told you need to make some changes, their doctors have educated them and informed them about changes they need to make and finally went to them saying, you need to make some changes or you're going to die right? That's pretty jarring. What they found is most of those patients initially will make those changes. 90% of them within two years go back to their old, their old way. So it's hard to enact, um, uh, again, the getting the patients on board with that long-term, uh, the changes that they need to make. What are the most common objections that you hear from patients in terms of nutritional supplementation, eating better lifestyle change, knowing that a lot of them don't necessarily, even if it's not a recommendation, it's a prescription, doesn't necessarily guarantee that they're going to do what we'd like them to do. What are some of the most common objections you hear, or maybe even suspect that they don't necessarily say, but maybe the reasons that hold people back and, and how do you overcome those? I, I think the first one is a lot of patients say, oh, I already take an omega-3 or I already take a, a supplement. And, you know, you've all seen the, the vitamin aisle at all these stores. It's massive, right? And in the absence of knowledge, they're going to go to the one thing they do know, which is what, how much it costs, right? And so I think that's probably the most common one that, that I get is, oh, I'm already taking something. I don't need whatever you're prescribing or recommending. So my question back to that is, well, but does it have the correct ratios? So we have evidence-based medicine around the dry eye supplement that we use around AREDS2 and the macular degeneration supplement that we utilize. So it's really in the science. And I, I rely heavily on the science part of this, that we've got peer-reviewed studies. So that's how I teach patients on the, the why you really do get what you pay for. And I would hate for you to spend money on something that on the surface looks cheap, but in the end it's costing you more because you're not actually getting what you need. Your body can't absorb it. Um, you know, you're most of it's winding up in your urine on the way out. And so those are just conversations, but you as the doctor really have to believe that so that you can convey that to the patient in a succinct way. So I think that's the first like pushback that I typically get is I'm already taking something. So my question is, but is it the right thing? Um, and I like the, the term, is it the right ratios? Because those really matter. Um, you know, and you're right. I, when we teach somebody a new habit, you know, there's multiple books and, you know, atomic habits, you know, Charles Duhigg's book on habits, um, tiny habits. When you look at habits, you have to have this habit that you have to have a trigger and a cue 
to change the habit, right? And when you hydrolyze an easier one, as Zach pointed out, because patients feel better. And when they stop taking them, they're like, oh, this is how I have reset my normal. I don't like it. <laughs> I liked what I felt like here. I think the more challenging ones are, like he pointed out, the glaucoma patients who are slowly losing vision or our AMD patients who might not feel any better. So I, the key point to that is bringing patients back for follow-up. So, you know, all of these patients, dry eye patients, glaucoma patients, AMD patients, we have regular check-ins. It's not like I'm prescribing something and I'm like, okay, well, I'll see you in a year because many times, and I had a patient this week, we came back and we talked about, I was like, are you taking your supplement? And he's like, no. Right. But he could have gone a whole other six months, but at least we had a check-in to, as a reminder, I'm like, okay, what's it going to take for you to build this habit? Can we put this with your toothbrush? When you brush your teeth, you take it. Can we do it this way? So I try to like incorporate like little things in their lifestyle. That's the trigger for them to cue the new habit that I want them to form. Yeah. I, and I think that's, that's really true. I think that the, the follow-up appointment is really important. Um, in, in, in sort of, it's kind of like when you're in college and the professor says the difference between saying, well, I, I want you to read this and I want you to read this and there's going to be a, a quiz in two weeks. You know, you're putting some sort of time pressure and expectation, you know, and, and if you don't sort of, you know, sort of fulfill your part, someone's going to notice and, and tell them that, you know, like we're, I'm going to sort of check on how your progress is going with this when you come back. So, you know, make sure you incorporate this into your regimen. Um, you know, I mean, you don't, you know, you don't want to sort of like, you know, I think that you want to avoid that kind of threatening kind of thing, like, you know, do this or you're going to die because it's that kind of negative thing that maybe people don't always respond well to, but, but, you know, kind of talk about maybe kind of point out the positives that they might get if they can kind of, you know, follow the regimen that you're recommending or prescribing. Yeah, and I, I agree, Zach, and we should probably be careful with the language. But at the same time, it does speak to something that I don't think comes up a lot in terms of patient care, but maybe it should. It's accountability. I mean, should we be holding patients mm -hmm. accountable in a maybe a softer approach than telling somebody they're going to die? But I suppose there's a place for that as well if somebody's going to die, if they don't mm -hmm. do something. But usually we're not dealing uh, with that as, as frequently in, in eye care. But I, I like that approach of the follow-up because it does build in a mechanism of accountability. If I say, great, I, you're doing really well. I'm going to have you come back in six months. And when you come back, I'm going to ask you how you're doing with the uh, with everything I prescribed. And it plants that seed that, oh, I'm going to have to sort of answer for what I've done right. the last six months, right? Right. And right. and I think that, you know, something like, you know, like with AMD, sort of asking them sort of what their goals are for their vision, like what do they want out of their vision and what are their worries for right now? You know, so my, you know, my worry is losing my vision uh, if I'm an older person and and I'd like to be able to see my grandkids and I'd like to be able to continue to drive and live independently and kind of frame this around, you know, I'm gonna help you, you know, achieve those things or hopefully at least slow the progression because the ARID uh, studies found that, um, you know, there was a 25 decreased rate of progression, which could translate to, you know, five to seven years, let's say, um, you know, of you being able to do all those things you wanna do longer than you might otherwise. So, you know, this could really be something that could make a meaningful difference for your life. 
And I like, Salino, you mentioned a couple words about ratio, about the science and making sure that the patients understand that because you're right, if people just go, we're always using, I mean, what three decades of research have taught us that we're always comparing things to help us make decisions. So if our patient ends up in CBS, uh, aisle of nutritional supplements, and they're making that decision purely based on price, it, it's possible we failed that patient in terms of educating right. them on, on the why. Uh, so that's, I think it comes in, it's it's very vital during the exam when you have that captive audience right there in the exam chair that they leave their understanding that not everything is the same. Even just asking them, are the ratios where they need to be? Right. Right. You, if they can't answer that, it opens up a discussion around that. And and Zach, great point too. I, I think when we, since we've already been uh, quoting a few statistics, I think through this process too, a better understanding what their needs are. You mentioned the patient understanding how important it is that they're able to see their grandkids as they get older. When we understand that, we can be much more impactful from a patient adherence standpoint. I don't, that's not my mm -hmm. opinion, but actually there's research out there showing that patients are significantly more likely to adhere to a doctor's recommendations when the doctor really listened to their reasons and supports mm -hmm. their reasons for mm -hmm. wanting to do something. And a doctor's reasons and a patient reasons aren't always aligned. What's really important to you, Dr. McGee, may not be the most important thing to the patient. So it, it, it kind of differentiates that education versus communication and being a good listener as well. Absolutely. You know, and Zach touched on something that I think because we're in it all the time, I think sometimes we forget. But when you look at surveys of what are patients most afraid of as they have more birthdays, number one is always losing their vision. It's above falling and breaking a hip. It's above losing their hearing. It's above everything. And so making that connection for them of I'm going to help you not lose your vision, or we're going to try to slow things down as much as we can and tying it to that emotional component of whatever they want to be able to achieve. And you're right, Steve, like you have to be able in the moment to listen for those things that they tell you, ask the right questions so that you can tie my why to their why. And now it really is a communication and we're in this relationship together. I'm not just talking at the patient you know, and one of my favorite things to say is your, your vision is your least important thing until it becomes the most important thing. And I want us to be in this together where we're not having this conversation of, man, I wish I would have done this, you know, 15 or 20 years ago. So Zach's exactly right on how to have those kinds of conversations. Zach, you know, as well as I do, that there's some ODs that do really well in terms of uh, promoting marketing and, and making nutritional supplements a big part of their practice, not just from a clinical uh, clinical care standpoint, but as a, a driver on the financial side as well. And other ODs right. don't do that. You know, there's, there's plenty of ODs right. out there that have tried this, they put it in their practice and it's, everything's just kind of collecting dust. So can you speak mm -hmm. to that? And, and maybe what are some of the reasons that one doctor is more successful in this area than others? And maybe what's some of the mistakes or things that, that doctors could be doing differently if they really do want to make nutrition, nutritional supplementation, a more meaningful part of their practice, but they've struggled to make that happen. Well, I think, first of all, if you, if you bring something on, I think you need to believe in it. Um, so find out about the science, do your own research or, or speak to, um, you know, the reps and kind of do, do your homework. 
and and find like find a supplement that is clinically validated. We have clinical studies on several of our products, including Hydri or Dry Eye product. So find something first of all that you can kind of lock into and say, okay, this is you know I believe this is solid. Um, and so being able to convey that to the patient and and to say it sort of meaningfully, and that's and that's a, a huge problem I think. A lot of optometrists might go like, well, you know, you might want to take a supplement and and we have a couple different ones and it's a little wishy-washy. And, you know, if you're, if you're prescribing a, you know, um, an antibiotic or, you know, you're, you know, a steroid or something, you're not kind of going like, well, you could think about this and you could do this one or that one, you know, it's, you know, this is what I want you to take. And it's just very, very solid. And you're, and you're pretty sort of concrete about they have to do this or whatever the sort of the consequence um, might be. But, um, you know, so I think you need to kind of, first of all, kind of do sort of like a little gut check, like, you know, am I being wishy-washy about this? How, you know, how compelling am I being to the patient? You just need to say, and, and, and you have to know, you feel it for yourself that, you know, this is what I want you to do. And you need to also sort of bring in your staff, make sure that they're driving the same message as you are with everything you're doing, right? Um, you know, I think it's helpful. You can have some promotional items around the practice and stuff, but I think the biggest thing is kind of the buy-in from everybody and everybody sort of having a plan and kind of knowing, you know, doc is going to talk about it. They're going to give them this slip. They're going to take it to the front desk. This means that Joe is going to, you know, and you're going to have the whole thing sort of dialed in, um, where it's not, there's, you know, no one's kind of dropping into the, into the cracks. The other thing I would say is, is have one sort of clear recommendation, like choose one thing. Sometimes docs sort of want to kind of almost sort of like emulate Walmart in their practice and they go like, well, yeah, we should carry a dry supplement. So I'll, I'll bring in four of them and people can choose. <laughs> and it's sort of replicate, replicating the same kind of failure you're sending them to. If you send them to the drugstore, it's like there's a dozen things, there's sale tags here and there. Um, you know, and, and they're just, you know, sort of melting down because they don't know what's the best thing to take. What they're looking, you know, to you, the doctor for is sort of one clear recommendation. This is what I should take. Which, which I think is what they want. I, I think people mm -hmm. want that recommendation. I, I don't think people want to have to be put in that position of deciding which one to take. Um, Selena, how do you, on that cohesive message throughout the office, because I think that's really important too, as I listen to both of you talk, what was your approach to training the staff? Because I imagine that goes beyond one conversation, right? This yeah. is uh, um, something that you'd probably want to continue to develop their expertise in as you would any. If I had a vision therapy practice, if I had a, a specialty contact, I would want to make sure the staff understood things at least well enough to speak with confidence to the patient. What was your approach to training your staff? Yeah, so I rely heavily on my on my my partnerships with industry to help me do that. So it starts with here's why we're doing this. This is why this matters and this is what it's going to mean for our patients in the end and being able to have that dialogue. But you hit on a key point is we have to all use the same dialogue. And one of the things that that I have worked really hard on inside our practice. And I'll just use this for an example because it's an easy one is transitions or photochromic lenses. So imagine you're a patient who comes in, you see my director of first impressions, they give you this 
little lifestyle questionnaire and it says, do you have light adaptive lenses in your current prescription? And then the technician brings them back and they say, so do your glasses have photochromic lenses? And then I come in and I prescribe transitions. How confused is that patient? We've called the same thing three different names. So when they get to the checkout desk, how successful are they going to be in optical when they say, oh, well, Dr. McGee prescribed transitions. Did you want that in your glasses? <laughs> That's going to be an epic fail on multiple pieces. So back to answer your question, we are really dialed into how we talk about things, the words that we use. We literally practice this every week at every team meeting. I think where the gap happens is we don't have people around us that hold us accountable because doctors are the absolute worst, myself included. So I like new things, shiny things. I'm like, wait, let's do this. And I'm off to the races, right? And a week later, my staff around me is going, hey, but you didn't do this in the room and you didn't talk about it. Why aren't you talking about it? And then I have to pause and go, you're right, because my intention wasn't where it should be. I have to build some more confidence, practice what I'm saying, and then get back to it. So you have to have accountability partners in your team around you that will call you out and you have to let them call you out so that you can build better habits yourself. And so we're very intentional about how we do this. And it literally, we talk about this weekly and it's not always the same thing every week. We have key performance indicators that everybody on the team is responsible for different ones. And so we call out the ones that they're responsible for. Hey, who's who's missing their KPI right now? And let's have a real conversation about why that's happening and what do we need to do to change the needle and move it forward? Is there a conversation that takes place before they get to you? Like a lot of offices might say, bring in every pair of glasses that you have, bring in your sunglasses. And they're planting the seed, one, to learn whether or not they have sunglasses, but also sort of to plant the seed with the patient that, you know, we we believe you should have multiple pairs of glasses. Uh, is there any conversation that takes place on the on the front end before they get to you? And, and this is part one of a two-part question. Um, and, and do you do marketing for this? This is obviously a part of your brand. Mm -hmm. um, is it mostly word of mouth? Do you do any outside marketing? So we rely heavily on SEO with my website and Google reviews. And so that's how we get probably, I don't know. It's a lot of how we get our new patients is just SEO from the website. That's organically driven, not pay-per-click advertising. Um, and then word of mouth is second and word of mouth is awesome because it's free, but it takes longer. Right. So definitely we focus heavily, you know, we have all of this on our website. If they want to go look, they're going to, they're going to find the things that we use, but to bring it back to the first question you asked, do you plant the seed? And yes, my experience ambassadors that all answer the phone, they're telling patients, bring in all of your spectacles, your sunglasses, your workspace pair, and your everyday pair. And the patient's like, huh? <laughs> right. But we do plant that ahead of time. Um, and then they start it. The technician asks again, we ask more lifestyle questions. So by the time they get to me, I'm really customizing what I need to maximize their vision and their everyday life. And it doesn't take me long because all this pre-work has been done in this very orchestrated, carefully articulated experience. Zach, anything to add to that in terms of, obviously you work with practices that are 
either making this is part of their brand or they aspire to make it a bigger part of their brand and, and what they're doing to really build this into um, into their brand and their messaging? Um, you know, I don't know if you would sort of ask someone to bring in all their supplements um, the way you would ask them to bring in all their glasses. Um, you know, I think it is important to ask them sort of what they're taking or whatever. Um, and, and also to sort of promote the what whatever you're doing in the office have it displayed sort of tastefully in non-cluttered way, sort of upfront, have it on your website and sort of show what your offerings are. Um, and, you know, so it's not also, so it's sort of not a surprise. It's kind of part of like what they're expecting when they're, when they're coming to the office. Um, you know, and then of course, once again, sort of having that sort of coordinated messaging where everybody's talking about things um, all in the same way, like Selena mentioned. Last question. It Beyond the clinical aspects of, of supplementation, what additional ways have this has this benefited your practice, whether that's through technology or whether it's through in-office procedures or co-managing other, you know, LASIK, uh, any additional avenues that this has promoted both, you know, better clinical care, but, but better financial outcomes for your practice as well? Sure. I think one key place that we haven't talked about is around cataract surgery or LASIK either one, because if we don't have an ocular surface optimization protocol in place, we're missing a big opportunity because, you know, patients expect to have really great vision after LASIK and cataract surgery has very much become a refractive procedure. And so we have to maximize that, that optic, that optical surface and by the time they get to the surgeon, it's too late, right? And so we're in the driver's seat. And so that's been a place that I think is really important to make sure you do have a protocol in place of here's what we're doing to maximize that before you get to the surgeon so that we have the premium expectations and the premium outcomes that you desire. So that's one opportunity um, that I think is really important. And you asked about the financial piece. I mean, I don't even know honestly, what we make on it. For me, it's less about that and more about the control of the patient and the brand of the practice. And what I mean by that is I at least have control over what they're getting inside my practice. My patients come to us because it is a bespoke experience. It's customized, it's intentional, and they expect the latest technology. And I'm going to deliver that in everything that we do. And one of those is this is the supplement that I have vetted, and this is why we're offering it in this way. So those are the ways that it's efficiently, I think, um, helped our brand more. I don't even, I couldn't even tell you on the financial mm -hmm. side. I'm sure it's good. Um, but Zach, maybe you can speak to that. Yeah. Well, um, yeah, I mean, I think you make good points. Um, you can, so if you just, if you recommend um, or prescribe um, one supplement, get one patient to comply with a supplement recommendation or prescription per day, um, that can add, you know, you know, thousands of dollars to your bottom line per month um, or tens of thousands per year. Um, sort of, you know, what exactly how that turns out. So it depends upon the supplement and how compliant your patients are and also how good your practice is at sort of conveying that, that message. But it can definitely make a difference. 
Um, you know, I think that, you know, the bottom line really, though, is sort of following like what's best for patient care. You have to sort of believe in it for that reason first. And, you know, sort of the, the benefits sort of financially for the practice will follow that. Um, so, you know, I mean, I think that's, you know, I think that probably gives you, um, you know, pretty good sense. You know, one thing we didn't talk about was the indirect value. So I don't know that we can put a price on that. You know, how much chair time does it cost me when I have a patient that went in for an IOL who didn't get the outcome that they wanted? Mm -hmm. And there's all of these post-op visits that I'm no charging because they didn't get the outcome. And if I had just done this ahead of time, so there's an indirect cost there. For my dry eye patients who are doing out-of-pocket investments like IPL and heat and expression, when those patients are well-maintained and well-controlled, those are happy patients. They're happy they made that investment. And I'm going to do everything I can to make sure that that investment was sound on their part. And so having a supplement be part of that goes back to that indirect um, benefit to the practice with happy patients. Right. And I think that one, one thing I, I really recommend to practices who are co-managing for cataract and LASIK and that kind of thing is to have a, a standard sort of pre-op kit, um, you know, something that you recommend to those patients who are going to undergo surgery to start to optimize your ocular surface. It can include a supplement like Hydri, which has actually been found to uh, improve um, um, corneal smoothness as well as symptoms and inflammation. Um, but, you know, you could also put in other things and you can coordinate with the surgery center, you know, sort of on, on sort of what things they want to see sort of pre-op and post-op as well. Um, but that can be a really nice sort of value add um, to those patients, as well as kind of, once again, sort of feeding into that sort of word of mouth sort of buzz. It's going to put a shine, a, a halo over everybody, you know, if the patient has good results. Um, more word of mouth for you. Um, it's great for the surgery center as well. Um, really kind of works in nicely for everyone. And, and for those sort of in-office procedures, something like IPL or, um, you know, um, um, uh, blepharoexfoliation and, and that kind of thing. Um, I think that, it, you know, you need to have just not just one tool. Like you could buy a fancy gizmo and do this, you know, sell this sort of high price procedure to the patient which is really good, like IPL is, is wonderful, but you need some kind of smaller stepping stones to get them there. And you need some things that kind of maintain the benefit they get from that procedure afterwards. And so it has to be sort of a wraparound um, array of services and not just sort of one, one thing. Um, and some practices sometimes just sort of make that mistake of like, I'm gonna buy an IPL and that's gonna sort of solve everything. Um, so, you know, I think it really has to kind of integrate with everything. Yeah. And, and Selena, what you said before, I was thinking the same thing when Zach was talking previously about the indirect impact. And you mentioned sort of the, the downside of that or the negative side having to do uh, some exams at, at no charge because there was problems. Things didn't go as well as you'd like. But the flip side of that is... Um, you mentioned creating happy patients and happy patients like to talk. So the, you know, what does that look like in terms of, of referrals and word of mouth? It's hard to quantify that, but I'm, I'm sure it exists. People will not talk about an average experience, but when they get above average, 
that's certainly something that they will um, hopefully share with others. So, well, thanks to both of you so much. This has been great. I, I love the topic and I think it's it's such a natural compliment to eye care that I, I don't I'll go back to where I started. I think it's often overlooked and maybe neglected. I think sometimes the, the OD is the one that needs to get out of their own way because there's tremendous benefit here uh, in terms of both clinical outcomes for the patients and financial outcomes for the practice. So, so thanks so much for both of you. Where, where can we find out more about the great Selena McGee and, and Zach Denning as well? Selena, you go first. I know you do a lot of speaking. Um, where would people uh, find out more about you? Sure. Um, so yes, I, I do lecture. I'll be at SECO coming up. I'll be at Vision Expo East coming up. I'm at Texas Optometric Association next week. And then, of course, you know, all my handles through the practice and the practice website. So you're welcome to peruse. It's bespokevision.org and then bespokevision on Insta as well. Thank you. And Zach, where can people find out about science-based health? Um, so they can go to our website um, to, to keep it um, easy, just sbh.com. Um, and then you can also find us um, on Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, Facebook, you name it. Um, and um, so for me, anyone who has uh, questions about uh, nutrition or science behind it, uh, feel free to reach out my email, ddenning at sbh.com. Perfect. Okay. Well, thanks again. We really appreciate your expertise. Um, look forward to getting this, uh, having this go live in a few weeks. I know a lot of people will benefit from hearing this. Um, if you would like more, thanks for listening. And, and if anyone would like to hear more about IDOC and how we work with ODs to help them grow their practice, you can find out more at IDOC.net. And thanks again, Zach. Thanks again, Dr. Selena McGee. And thanks everyone for listening. Perfect. Thanks, Dr. Vargo, for Steve. having us. This was fun. Thanks. Cheers.